And I imagine for some artists, they may say, you know, actually, Jacob, I want my project in a theater. And that can still be a part of the offering. I want my, I want the proscenium. I want the three-quarter thrust. I want the in the round. I, I don't want to be in kind of a found space or outside. Um, and that can be, again, what's the right container for the project that we are building with you? Hello, and welcome to Art Restart, where we explore how artists are reinventing their fields and building a new landscape for the arts. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Thomas S. Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. In this episode, we'll be spending some time with Jacob Padron, the artistic director of the renowned Long Wharf Theatre in New Haven, Connecticut. Just two months ago, in February of 2022, Long Wharf Theatre released a bold statement that, as soon as I read it, made me want to interview Jacob. It said that starting with its 2022-23 season, the theater will not renew the lease on the space it has occupied for 57 years on the outskirts of New Haven. Instead, Long Wharf will commit, at least for a few years, to an itinerant production model that, quote, will prioritize equity, accessibility, and transparency, guided by three core pillars, revolutionary partnerships, artistic innovation, and radical inclusion, unquote. This statement, of course, came at a time when theaters all over the country, especially in the wake of the pandemic, are grappling with ways to reinvigorate and diversify their production models, as well as their audience base. So I wanted to hear from Jacob if he thought this move from putting on work in a permanent brick-and-mortar space to producing plays and spaces throughout a home city might really be the answer for struggling regional theaters. Jacob's resume includes leading innovative producing projects at such august institutions as Chicago Steppenwolf Theater and New York's Public Theater. He's also the founder and artistic director of The Soul Project, a national theater initiative dedicated to producing the work of Latin A artists in New York City and beyond. Jacob spoke to me from his home in New Haven. I asked him what his plans had been when he first took the reins of Long Wharf in 2018 and how the events of the last two years impacted his original vision. I think that the original plan, or my plans, were to build on history, were to build on the history of innovation and the legacy. You know, Long Wharf Theater has an extraordinary history. It's been an artistic home for some of the most exciting artists. Uh, It's been the birthplace of really amazing new work, new plays, uh, you know, it had built a, a, a loyal sort of audience base and a real artistic community. And so how to hold on to that, right? Hold on to kind of the best, the best chapters of our past as a bridge to our future, which in my mind uh, was about making the theater more accessible, allowing the theater to reflect the kaleidoscope of our city and of our world. Um, and I love that word, you know, and I, that word, I think, is, is kind of an organizing principle for me, I think, as a theater producer, of what it means to uh, to make sure that your stage and the composition of your staff and the boardroom and your community partners, again, reflect the the city and the region that you're in. So that was always the plan. The plan was let's make the tent bigger. Let's make 
table wider. Let's bring more chairs to that table. And we were on our way. We were on our way. And I remember one of the questions that a board member asked me when I, uh, when I was interviewing for the job. He said, all right, Jacob, so you're six months into the job. What will you have accomplished? And I you know, I said, Jim, it's such a great question. And I would say, if I'm really doing my job well, you're actually not going to see me behind my desk. That my job in joining this community and being the new artistic director is to listen, is to go on a really robust listening tour and to begin to um, build new bridges and to strengthen existing ones. And the way that you do that work is not from behind a desk, but by being out in community. And so the pandemic really stalled that work, really stalled the ability to strengthen those relationships and to build new relationships. You know this, Pierre Carlo, that cultural transformation, you know, is all about how we engage people um, and how we engage in relationships with each other. And so that's been really tough because of the pandemic, our, our inability to connect in person, uh, not to say that Zoom and, you know, the virtual space isn't a, a productive space, but it's it's been, you know, it's been tough. Right. So you had these plans to expand the umbrella, but during the pandemic years, when you actually couldn't speak to the people who would you'd invite under that umbrella, you couldn't know what it could look like or what what the community needed. Exactly. And I also think that the, the path forward or the future vision of Long Wharf Theater was going to be really expressed by our programming and by my inaugural season. I took about 14 months to plan that season. I remember when I started, they asked me, do you want to jump right in and start planning? Uh, And I said, no, I actually, again, I want to do the work of listening. I want to do the work of building. I want to do the work of reflecting. And then I want to figure out how we really put into action uh, this idea of making the table larger and, and reflecting that value of inclusivity and kaleidoscope. Uh, And so I put together what I thought was a, a, a pretty dynamic a season, uh, a season that I think really built on our history of innovation that really connected to those who had been coming for many, many years to Long Wharf Theater, that they could still see themselves in the work. And it was a real nod to this is also where we're, this is where we're going. It was a nod to Long Wharf Theater can be a space for everyone. So it was five projects that included a new play, uh, that included a classic, that included uh, a work um, that was going to be produced in partnership with a local theater company, Collective Consciousness Theater. It also included a play that we were going to do uh, in partnership with an off-Broadway company. Uh, and then we were going to close our season with a, a major revival of one of my favorite musicals, Jelly's Last Jam, directed by Patricia McGregor. Pierre Carlo, we announced that on March 11th of 2020. And two days later, the shutdown happened. That that has been really hard because it, it again it was it was a season that reflected I think our values. It reflected on we are building on history and look at where we're going now. And so to not be able to do that season I think has been incredibly painful. And I, I you know I hope maybe someday we'll be able to get back there. So you weren't not only were you not able to launch kind of your first real season that expressed your hopes for the aesthetic future and community future of Long Wharf. But then it turns out you also had to leave your space. So that's extra challenging, I imagine. It, it is. It is. Although I, I see it as such a tremendous opportunity, though, as well. I mean, I think that there were several factors, I think, that led to us having to move out of our space, one of which you've already mentioned around our lease. You know, our lease was going to expire 
June of this year. And so it provided an opportunity for us to really sit with that, to sit with that reality of what do we want to do? What is this, you know, what is the next chapter of Long Wharf Theater in the context of a racial reckoning, in the context of, uh, again, cultural transformation, really not just in the theater space, but I think in the arts and culture space, in the context of the, the question that's being asked of all of us, which is how do you want to show up? How do you want to be in relationship to your community? How do you want to engage in conversation with your audience? What does it mean to be a theater company of the 21st century? And so I think it was about, uh, you know, it was about, it was about that. And it was about, um, you know, maintaining a building is very expensive, right? The, the overhead costs and, and, you know, all that goes into maintaining a building. The other thing that we thought about was accessibility. You know, the Long Wharf Theater is located in a space that was always meant to be a temporary space, very difficult to get to. It sits on the outskirts of the, of the city, easy to get to for those who don't live necessarily in New Haven because it's right off the freeway. But if you are highway, but for those who don't have, you know, have access to a car, public transportation is really tough. And so that coupled with this idea of if we want to be a theater company for everyone, if we want to reflect, uh, again, the, the richness of our city and our region, is this also an opportunity to really rethink what a regional theater can be and less about bricks and mortar and more about people and relationships. And as you know, the itinerant model is not a new model, but it's not a model that necessarily sits on top of sort of the regional theater model. We've seen theater companies go from one space into a new space, usually a much bigger space. Uh, you know, they, they launch a capital campaign. They sort of find a temporary home for the, you know, the few seasons that they're raising money and building the new theater or building the new campus. But we wanted to do something a little bit different, which was about building and co-creating and co-constructing with community to figure out what should that future look like. And if we were to go right into a new building, it didn't give us an opportunity to engage the community in deep and meaningful ways. We're truly kind of building the plane as we're flying the plane. And I think that that even that, that model, I think is something that the American theater doesn't always do. It doesn't, you know, folks want, folks want concrete answers even now. Okay. What does this mean? Where are you going? What, where am I going to park? What's going to be, are you still going to have subscription? What is this membership? What, you know, it's all of those things. It's all of those things. And I recognize that, you know, change is hard and change provides an opportunity to activate our collective imagination, to dream into the future and to conjure what does not yet exist. And I think that's the invitation. The invitation is let's build or let's write the next chapter of Longworth Theater together. And I think that's what I'm trying to center. You know, of course there are challenges. Of course folks are, are, are nervous about what this means. I mean, I've, I've had folks even say flat out, you're going to fail. This is a terrible idea. And I say, okay, I hear you. And let's dream. Let's dream together. And again, let's activate our, that, that collective imagination for, for what's possible for our future. What are you hearing from your artists about doing more of their work in the community? You know, there has been a lot of excitement, a lot of excitement. And I'm, and I'm thinking about one artist in particular whose project we're developing. And it's a, it's a one-man show about uh, climate justice. Uh, and, it's, and there's music, and it's inspired by the movie musical Singing in the Rain. And for this artist, they were able to, it kind of unlocked 
uh, I think, a number of things. Um, but, you know, what he said to me was he said, I can kind of now reimagine my relationship to this project because I get to think about what's the right container. What is the right container for this project now? What is my relationship to the land? What is my relationship to the audience now? Because I get to, I get to think about my project not in the context of four walls and a stage, which is a theater, and more about what, again, what is the container that's going to allow this particular story to, to be unlocked in new and exciting ways? I think that's exciting to artists to think about we get to be bespoke in a certain kind of way. And I imagine for some artists, they may say, you know, actually, Jacob, I want my project in a theater. And that can still be a part of the offering. I want my, I want the proscenium. I want the three-quarter thrust. I want the in the round. I, I don't want to be in kind of a found space or outside. Um, and that can be, again, what's the right container for the project that we are building with you? And I think it allows us to be much more flexible and imaginative in how we think about that. It's kind of wonderful. As you're describing, you're, you're flying the plane as you're building it. It's a beautiful, scary, exciting experiment. As you're going to be testing things out, do you have a sense of what you're hoping the plane will look like or how it will fly <laughs> in two or three years. I think it is something that I am like reflecting on. I think in my head I can see it, but the ability to articulate it, I think it's, I think it's like a feeling in my body. It's a, it's a, a sensation. I think that, that, that I have, it's, it's sometimes I have these flashes of experiencing the work of Longworth theater in, in, in new and exciting ways that I can see so vividly uh, and I think that it's it's asking folks to to be patient with us and again to journey with us. Um, but I think that that plane, um, if we're using that metaphor, I think that that <laughs> plane is incredibly sturdy. That plane is vibrant. That plane is multicolored. That plane is still doing the thing that it does best. Which you know, I guess in in the in the with the plane metaphor, it's it's flying a beautiful flight, and I guess to bring it back to theater, it's um, we're still going to tell great stories, we're still going to make great theater, and I think that maybe that's part of the fear is like, well, what does that mean? Are we still going to see that classic play that we love so much? Does it mean that we're still going to see that world premiere play? where you know we know that we're getting to see it first before it goes on to have extended life across the country and in New York City. Um, does that mean that um, our you know that our youth and that the next generation of theater makers and theater lovers are still going to be a part of the life of Longworth theater? And the answer without equivocation is yes, 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 yes. It might look a little bit different, but we're still going to be a great theater company. And in my mind, like just to give you kind of a sense of like, okay, well, Jacob, talk to me about like what a season would look like. It's like a season could be like, what if it's, you know, we open the season with this like fantastic reimagined production of The Crucible in the armory, the New Haven armory, you know, and then we go to the New Haven Green and we see an exquisite dance piece that dance piece that's commissioned by someone like Savion Glover or Justin Peck, and it's made with our youth and really celebrates uh, the history of music and dance that is New Haven. And then we go into a museum, um, and we get to experience, you know, uh, maybe a piece that's created um, in partnership with like a local opera company, 
um, and then a playwright and they come together and they make something that you can't even put words to right now. And we activate a museum space in a way that we don't often sort of think about. And and you drive down, um, you know, Chapel Street or you down drive York Street, which is sort of in the middle of downtown and you see banners of Long Wharf Theater on the light posts. You know, that it's that kind of immersion, that kind of, again, kaleidoscope, that kind of vibrancy that I think is at the center of this invitation. And again, it's that thing of like, what does it, your regional theater, what is your relationship to the region? It's a big change because of, of course, when, when the first kind of the, the movement of regional theaters, 1965, around when Long Wharf was created and Center Theater Group, a lot of temples of culture were built, right? Yes. I mean, in terms of Center Theater Group, where you and I both met, there was a, a residential hill was literally kind of half raised to create this this gleaming temple of culture, which was an exciting place to visit because it's beautiful and fancy, but it was also completely disconnected from, from the community. So I'm wondering if, do you really think that the next movement for regional theater might be to let go of these temples and really scatter culture throughout the community? Well, I think it's a yes and. I think this is where we can think about how we center a mentality of abundance rather than a mentality of scarcity. And what I mean by that is I think that we can do a better job of, of having these buildings, having bricks and mortar, but making sure that those that those spaces are accessible and open, both physically open and metaphorically open to the people that we're actually trying to be in relationship with. And we can still create and build and construct with community in different parts of our region, you know, so that it's not just about come to us, you know, that, that you, you, you can still be anchored by a space and you can still make work outside of that space. And so that's sort of also how I'm thinking about maybe the future of, of for Longworth Theater. And so there might be an anchoring space. Yes. I, I mean, the idea of a campus, I mean, I love, I, I, I've talked very openly about what does it mean if for Longworth Theater to have a campus, but that campus, even the idea of a campus, you think of a, a constellation of buildings together, but I think, no, 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 a campus can be expansive. A campus can be that anchoring space, say in downtown but that you then have these other spaces around the region that are connected to the life of Longworth Theater. These other spaces where you make work, these other spaces that allow the community and different neighborhoods to engage with your work. That excites me. Um, and, I, and, I, and I wonder if that could also be a part of our future. What have you heard from your colleagues, from other artistic directors, without naming names? <laughs> I don't, we don't want to put anyone on the spot. Yeah, what are you hearing generally? I wonder if they really envy you or if they think you're crazy. I think that's probably a little bit of both. I, <laughs> I think that it's I think it's easy to to share a love and affirmation. I think sometimes it's really easy to share love and affirmation. I think when maybe you're not <laughs> when you're not in the hot seat. But I would say by and large, um, there's been a lot of support and I've I have felt very um, buoyed and very grateful, I think, for the way that the community uh, has, the community of, of, of other artistic directors and executive leaders um, and just leaders in the field that I really admire who have been incredibly supportive and who've also um, have been able to like lend their wisdom, lend their, their ear. Uh, we've been having these town halls 
um, virtual town halls as a way to begin the process of engaging with community and saying, okay, this is, you know, this, this new chapter for Longworth Theater. Um, how do we want to build together? And um, they're meant to be both kind of listening sessions, information gathering sessions. It's also a, a place for us to share a little bit more context. And some of the artistic directors of other theater companies have um, have joined, have joined oh. those sessions just to just in solidarity and in support. This last uh, virtual town hall that we had on Thursday, you know, we opened up the chat. That was a big decision. We were like, we need to be able to give people the opportunity to to share and reflect. And as you can imagine, Pier Carlo, there were some very spirited, shall I say, <laughs> uh, uh, comments. And there was one artistic director who just, she just got in there and she said, you know, she just shared so much wisdom and I, so much affirmation. You know, she said that if Long Wharf Theater weren't thinking in this way and that this is a, that this, this is an invitation for the field to reimagine and we have to support each other. And that is a shift that I think we are seeing. I, I think the way that we are coming together as our, as artistic leaders to support each other and challenge each other and affirm each other. I think that that is only going to make our ecosystem, I think, just so much stronger and healthier. And so when we have moments where an artistic director comes to your virtual town hall and shows up in that way and is vocal to, you know, in the face of uh, some real naysayers, what a powerful moment. It, it was such a moment for me, and I felt very, very cared for in a way that was just very moving. I think if we can do more of that in terms of how we show up for each other and how we just love each other and support each other, I think it'll it'll make us a stronger field. I can't imagine how stressful the last three and a half, four years have been for you, given all the challenges that were heaped on you. What have you learned about your leadership skills and your artistic spirit since you arrived at Long Wharf? I have learned, I think, many, many things. I have learned that it is okay if you don't have all of the answers. And I think that sometimes I think as leaders, I think that maybe there's that expectation that you are kind of all-knowing. And I think that there are so many... Is that not, is that not something boards of directors expect? <laughs> I, I think one of the most powerful things, it's something I actually say to my students that, you know, I, I teach, I, I teach at the drama school uh, at Yale. And, and I say that to my students that one of the most powerful things that you can do as a leader is to say, I don't know. And, I, and it makes me think of something that uh, my former chair uh, of the theater management program, he, you know, he once said in a, in a leadership class, he said, um, great leaders are not just concerned with being right they are deeply concerned with figuring out when they're wrong. So that investigation of, am I wrong? Do I, do I know what, do I, do I know what to do? And maybe I don't, which then leads me to my second, um, second, the second thing that I've learned, which is the power of shared leadership, the power of, of coming together and making uh, an analysis or a decision um, or, or a reflection together. And I think that um, trying to do more of that, trying to model more of that, and that's hard. That's hard work um, because our, our organizations aren't necessarily set up for that. And the other thing that I am that I think that I've learned is, you know, it's okay, it's okay to pause and it's okay to like reflect 
Um, because I think sometimes the nature of our work is like, you just kind of feel like you're on the merry-go-round. You're just like, you're constantly sort of hustling <laughs> and, and move, you know, and you're, you're holding so many things. And this is really a credit to, to my staff, I think really encouraging um, the importance of carving out space for reflection, for self-care, for work-life balance. I mean, I think we talk about that a lot, I think, in our field, but don't necessarily do anything about it. So one of the things that we're trying to model at Long Wharf is for people to, again, imperfectly, totally imperfectly, but saying, take the time that you need. If you need to tap out, if you need to just, if you need this space for reflection, if you need to do whatever you need to do to care for yourself, because I think when we are sound mind, body, and spirit, I think it allows us to, to do better work. It's also about inviting people to bring all parts of themselves to their work. I think that the mythology of like, well, this is, you're, you know, you're now at work or you're now in the rehearsal room or you're now in tech. And so you got to just grind it out. I, I think that that is not serving us. And so the more that we can bring all parts of ourselves, even the parts that are complicated, even the parts when we mess up. And, and, I, and I think the acknowledgement of that to say, I am not, I am imperfect. I am going to make mistakes. I, I understand. I'm still understanding my own relationship to my power. And, and it is a journey. It is a journey. And I think the more that we can engage in a spirit of self-reflection rather than self-righteousness, I think is really important in our, in our work forward. If you'd like to learn more about Jacob and read a longer version of this interview, just head to uncsa.edu slash artrestart. If you know someone, an artist or an art lover or an engaged citizen who you think would enjoy hearing from the visionaries and changemakers we have the great pleasure of featuring on each podcast episode, won't you please let this person know? In each episode, I keep receiving new blueprints for creating more vibrant communities, and I'd love for as many people as possible to have access to these ideas. Our theme music is by Shanghai Restoration Project. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, and on behalf of the Keenan Institute for the Arts, thank you for listening.